Good evening, everyone. Broadcasting live. Friday the 13th. Friday, May 13th. Today's quote is about good things. Good things that are not good. There are things in this world that we think are good. They turn out to be dangerous. Daruno, daruno. Daruna, daruna means uh, wicked or harsh, cruel. What is it in this world that is harsh and cruel or uh, dangerous? Buddha says three things, laba, gain, sakara, uh, praise, and sila, siloka. fame sakara is honor right we went through this sakara is when people uh, hold you esteem you siloka is fame laba is gain these things are very bad no not the sort of things you think of as bad, as problematic. Why are these considered to be bad? But it says, Ida hang bikwe, ekachang pugalang, ewang jetasa jeto paricha pajanahami. Some people I, I can see in their mind uh, they would not tell a lie, they would not knowingly tell a lie for gold or jewels. Uh, golden bowl, a golden bowl filled with pieces of silver? Mm. Well, maybe. Right. There are people who would not do, would not normally do evil things. They uh, they don't think they're naturally pure. This is the way of worldly goodness. You see people who are just naturally wholesome and good and kind. And then he says, but that same person I've seen telling lies because his heart was obsessed by gains, honor, and fame, though of having been corrupted. And there are like Aesop's fables about that sort of thing. 
someone becomes, you know, the classic story where someone uh, loses sight of loses sight of what's good, becomes blinded by gains, honor, and fame. Good things blind us. There's a danger in too much no? undeserved. The Buddha often talked about undeserved. When someone isn't isn't capable or isn't ready or isn't uh, worthy of gain, praise, fame, or anything else good. You know, it's another reason why nature is such a useful uh, environment to meditate in because it's quite harsh. You know? It forces you and to be patient and present. You know? It's easy when things become when we live live in the world like in in Asia when we went to meditate. It could be quite cold, and say colder than it is here now. But uh, here we, we we turn on the heat when it gets below twenty degrees, and we have hot water showers. We couldn't imagine taking a cold water shower. This kind of thing. It's easy to be, become complacent and lazy when you when you actually live in nature if you've ever lived in nature uh, it, it forces you to to be content you know to accept to let go because you can't run away there's no if you don't have a hot water shower then you have to take a cold water shower you know if you live in the forest you don't even have a hot water a cold water shower you have to bathe in the river or, or not bathe at all for days. That's why we go on alms round, because it's a way of being content, you know, with whatever food there is easily and freely available uh, through charity, freeing ourselves from the complacency of choosing and getting what we want. All the time. It's why we sleep on the floor. It's why we. It's why we give up money and give up luxury, because these things are dangerous. Worldly good things are problematic, you know. And this is another reason why many people are unable to progress in the practice, are unable to even think of meditation practice as a positive thing. There's many people in this world who couldn't imagine a reason for meditating, right? Why? Why would you waste your time? That uh, You could be enjoying life, right? Because these people enjoy life. They have pleasant lives and they have good, they have gains that other people do not. There are people who think that all you have to do is think positively and good things come to you. And there's something to not being depressed and negative, but it's also quite clear that some people just have better luck and better uh, situation than others. And uh, they become blind and, and forgetful. 
You know, there's the story of Saka, the king of the gods, who became a Sotapanna, so he really understood the Dhamma. But then one day Moggallana went to check on him and, and found that he was he was complacent. He had this beautiful palace and he showed Moggallana this palace and Moggallana used his magical powers to shake the palace up with an earthquake. And Saka became afraid and he said, ah, you've become complacent. And he said, this, this, this gain of you, this gain of yours as an angel, this... Uh, these good things. We're like angels in many ways. We have such we have such luxury in this world. Even to just have uh, f cooked food, you know, all the things that we have that, that we take for granted. Cooked food soft clothes that we can actually wear cotton on our bodies to ward off heat and cold that we have walls and a roof to keep out the insects and the the, the elements that we have medicine so we don't have to put up with our illness we can just whenever we're sick for whatever reason we can take a pill and it goes away very easy to get uh, lost in these things and not realize the uh, limited nature of our of our uh, of our luxury and our contentment you know, it's easy to be content when things are good when you have happy things come to you we practice meditation to be ready for anything, to be invincible. It's not a it's not a, a reason to be proud that you can deal with that you can uh, that you can enjoy life. It's not a reason to be proud of when you're when you're famous or when you're rich or when you you're honored by others. Something to be concerned about. Now I will become complacent. These good things will make me forget about the potential for bad things. And then when bad things come, I'll be completely unprepared. Anyway, very important part aspect of Buddhism is our relationship with worldly good things. It's a very important uh, uh, point in leading us to take the meditation practice seriously. It's our relationship with worldly happiness, worldly pleasure, worldly good things, the worldly dhammas, and reminding ourselves that these are not permanent, that the good and the bad are unpredictable, unreliable, unsustainable. Okay. So anyway, that's our dhamma for this evening. Do we have any questions? Good morning. Thanks for the broken gong teaching. Glad you appreciate it. Just a reminder, I asked a couple of questions. Mm. Well, I don't see them. If they're before last night, then I think they're lost.
What should you do when other people's suffering spills onto you? Hmm. Well, there's, it's interesting how you say spills onto you. You might have to give me an example, but I can talk about some of the ways it spills onto you. No? When you feel uh, sympathetic for other people's suffering is one way, or when people get you caught up in their own problems is another way. But you can't actually, suffering can't actually spread. Suffering is one thing that can't spread. You can't suffer because someone else is suffering. It's very easy to suffer when someone else is suffering for these reasons, right? Someone gets in trouble. Suppose someone uh, accumulates gambling debts or something. And then their whole family suffers. Suppose uh, someone is very ill, then their whole family suffers for another reason, from sadness, from loss. People taking problems out on you, right? So suppose someone uh, is, apparently when people are ill with cancer, they can be very hard to deal with. Rather than becoming sober, they become more uh, intoxicated or, or more caught up in themselves, more self-absorbed and crazy, and, you know, become uh, very self-centered. Me, 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 poor me, poor me, something like that, and it causes problems for other people or they're angry at you for not appreciating them, that kind of thing, for not appreciating their problems. And you have to deal with it as with everything else, with mindfulness. Don't let other people... See, we're very uh, connected with others. We react very quickly to other people's problems. It's a reason why we go on what we call a retreat, right? You retreat because being around people all day is tough. You know, being around worldly people is very hard on your mind, very difficult for your meditation practice. I mean, you could call it the advanced practice, right? When you actually have to deal with people. Meditating here in the monastery is a training, like boxing and in a boxing uh, gym, you know, you go to the gym and you train, but when you step into the ring, it gets real, and you have to put it all to use. Feeling sad for other people is a big problem, I think. Uh, people think compassion is feeling sad for others, and it's not really. You shouldn't be moved by other people's suffering, not in that way. Sorry, that's maybe wrong to say. You should be moved, but moved to help, not moved to sadness. You shouldn't be upset by, is what I mean. Not in that sense. You shouldn't be sad because of other people's suffering. And that's, people will often use that sort of thing to their advantage. Poor me, and they want everyone to feel sad for them, and then it drains everyone else, and that kind of thing. It doesn't actually help anyone, right? But you should help others, and in fact, you can help others. Um, 
because of the med because of your contentment through the meditation practice when you have fewer needs of your own you're much better able to help others you, know, you talk about other people abusing that in terms of uh, using you and expecting you to help them I think for enlightened being there's a, there's a certain sense of willingness to let people use you certain willingness to help others and to not worry so much about yourself because you don't get upset about things you can be used and it doesn't bother you you don't mind when when other people want you to help them it's just easier to go along with them so you just do it and you can do things that most you're stronger in fact invincible as an enlightened being an arahant that nothing bothers them so they're able to help and and work for the benefit of others Untire, uh, tirelessly, untiringly. So I, I mean, those are just some thoughts on that. Ultimately, you have to be mindful, and and it's going to depend on the situation, and depend on your own abilities. You, know, you shouldn't pretend that you're enlightened and try to act like an arahant. You should somehow sometimes protect yourself, and sometimes you have to retreat. Is eating meat considered killing? No, it's not. No. Eating meat is considered eating, chewing. Nothing dies when you eat meat. Have all the Buddhas been men and born in India? Apparently so. But uh, not just men. They're, it's a very special being. A Buddha is born as a very special being. But yes, is male doesn't mean that women are inferior, although there is that kind of a connotation, unfortunately. I don't know what to say about that. Maybe it's not true. Maybe there are women Buddhas, but there's a sense that the Buddha form is male, is masculine. The same goes for Mara, which is the evil angel, is also a male form. So it's a, it's a sense, I think, of the male being more powerful. And I know that's kind of sexist or it's outright sexist. So I don't know what to say about that. Maybe it's not true. I wouldn't put too much stock in it. It's not like it's an important teaching or anything. But yeah, curiously, they seem, according to the commentaries, to have been all male born in India. And India seems to come again and again. Each universe has an India, apparently. Take that as you will. In your booklet under the section on sitting practice, you write one should investigate sensations other than the breath after some minutes. Hmm. What if the mind stays easily with the breath? Should one stick with the breath or pick other sensations? If the mind is with the breath and you with the stomach, you focus on the stomach rising, falling. But as soon as pain arises, focus on the pain. As soon as happiness arises, focus on the happiness. As soon as calm arises, focus on the calm. I don't, uh, maybe I'm, the, the book is poorly written, I don't know. It shouldn't say you should look for feelings, but if there's feelings, you should focus on them. Because that means your mind is already no longer on the stomach. Yes, he actually shook the palace using a single toe someone who knows their texts. He touched it. So Saka, look, he said, look at this beautiful, majestic palace and its splendor and its magnificence, its, its awesomeness. 
And Moglana touched it with his big toe and poof, it shook as though it was going to fall apart. And Saka was horrified. Suddenly this grand palace of his was about to collapse. And Moglana shook his head and said, you are being negligent. This is not permanent. This is not stable. This is not awesome. This is nothing. It's the broken gong analogy used for people with preconceptions about you or a situation that happened. The broken gong is when you don't react. It means don't react. That's all. It's quite simple. I wouldn't read too much into it. Should we choose when to say, no, that is wrong? Because that would be right at the time. I mean, you wouldn't use the exclamation points, I think is the point. You wouldn't be upset about it, but you might say that's wrong. But being, the broken gong means there's something missing. A gong is unable to ring. That's actually kind of a negative thing, right? We think of a gong ringing as a good thing, but, but no, there's something missing from, from the mind of an enlightened being. They might say, no, that's wrong, but there's no upset. There's no reaction. What if the incentive for its continuance via factory farming and consuming it? Yes, but that's not immoral. That doesn't make it immoral. It may make it immoral in an in a intellectual sense, but eating meat is just chewing. Chewing, chewing, nothing dies as you do it. And that's where morality is in Buddhism, because otherwise you can never win. You can never be truly moral because you don't know whether the food you're eating is is you know, pesticides that they use, you, you don't know, driving and you, you get on the bus and you pay a bus token. Uh, well, well, more simply, you get in your car and you drive and you're, you know your car is going to hit insects, right? Well, then you're responsible for the killing of the insects. Okay, so then you take a bus. Well, you're still paying for the bus, so aren't you contributing to the dead insects on the windshield, etc., etc. You can never be truly moral if your morality is based on an intellectual concept of this is supporting this, this is supporting that. This is, is it, it's not like that. Morality is the intentional, or the, the, the abstention from intentional acts of, of uh, direct harm. So if you tell someone, you know, go kill me a, a chicken or something, or kill me a fish, then you're, you're not guilty of murder but you're guilty of telling someone to commit murder, which is still a very har harmful thing. It's, it's the state of your mind, you know. You don't want to be killed, and, 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 and yet you act in a way to, with the intention to, to bring about death. You don't do that when you eat. You don't have the intention to kill this thing. You also don't have an intention that people should go out and do it more, go out and kill, kill more. I know people look at this and they say, yeah, but yeah, I don't, don't overthink things. Keep it simple. Otherwise you get lost. What is the benefit of not eating afternoon? Well, it's just a line in the sand. There's no, there's nothing magical about noon, but you, you, you know, you need a certain amount of energy for the day, a certain amount of calories and, and nutrients for the day. You use those during the day, so eating in the morning gives you that. It means, what do I need to survive? I need food. 
If I eat in the evening, it's not very useful. But if I eat in the morning, that helps me get through the day and I live and I have energy. So we only eat in the morning for that reason. And the artificial line in the sand is dawn to midday, which is reasonable. Doesn't mean it's immoral to eat after midday, but uh, it's a reasonable, uh, reasonable uh, con convention. I mean, a lot of the rules are just that. They're not important. They're not necessary. They're just rules. And that's the thing is they're not thou shalt not and they're not this is evil. They're I undertake not to. So they're things that people undertake. They undertake them because they're useful. Whoa. There's a big one. Recently came off a medication. Causes delirium. Um, any tips on fear about dying incorrectly to let go or concentrate or observe during these overwhelming experiences? Hmm. Well, make sure you don't have these things, these states in your mind, right? It's fearsome. And there's no way around it if you die with evil in your heart you'll go to a bad place you know and fear itself is a very un un unwholesome state so it's something that you have to deal with if you die with fear in your mind that's not a good thing that's a, one of the prime reasons for going to a hellish state or a, a ghostly state not a good state now, ordinary fear won't send you to hell, but, but intense fear can <laughs> make you more afraid, right? Oh my gosh, you said my fear is going to lead me to hell. Well, good. You shouldn't see how silly you're being and in the end. I'm sorry, I don't mean to trivialize it, but in the end it's just fear. And we, we make more out of these things than they are, and that's really the problem. If you're mindful of your fear, then it no longer has power over you. My, mindfulness meditation, how should you do it? What, it? what is the tips? Well, have you read my booklet on how to meditate? I think you have. That's about it. Read my booklet, learn how to meditate, practice that way. It will help you deal with such things as fear and anxiety and so on. How long should you focus on your feelings? Well, and as long as they last is good, but if after a long time they don't go away, then you can ignore them and come back to the stomach rising and falling. But you can stay with them. We're just trying to see them as they are, trying to see that they're not under our control, trying to learn to be objective. It's more about our state of mind than the actual experience. So whatever you focus on, trying to cultivate this objective, experience. It doesn't matter what you focus on. If the feeling's always there, just stay with it. Good object. I have had some serious brain injuries in the past. Would it affect my meditation? Potentially. Potentially not. Um, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, do what you can as best you can. That's all you can do. We can only start where we are. 
we're not all going to become enlightened in this lifetime. But we take a step in that direction, it becomes our, our direction, you know. We can turn ourselves in the right direction and begin on the right path. You see so much more of it right before death than you realize you have, yeah, I'll bet. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I was thinking I was going to die. I mean, I was in a car accident once. It was kind of scary. And I remember doing rock climbing, and when I got to the top, I tied myself in to be let down, and halfway down I realized the knot that was holding me was just a single knot. I had mistied it. That was kind of freaky, just 60 feet up, realizing I was about to slip loose and fall to my death. Uh, but, but no, I've never been in such a situation. But uh, talking to people who have, I can imagine. And as a meditator, you can imagine because you get these feelings, these things come up that people talk about coming up when you die. And so meditation is so great for preparing you for death because you, you've been there, seen it all. You know, you've gone through the dregs and the depths of your mind. Have you ever read the book, I, the Four Agreements? No, I haven't. Does Avedita Sukha refer to Nibbana? Sangha, very good questions, but very difficult ones. I have no idea. Avedita Sukha. Let's look up the word. I don't even know that word. It sounds like what Sariputta said when he was asked, Yamaka, I think, no. Yamaka? The monk Yamaka asked Sariputta, how is it that Nibbana can be happiness? Well, there's no feeling. There's no feeling. How can it be happiness, right? The Buddha said it's precisely because there's no feeling that it's happiness. <laughs> so what's Avedita? Yeah, I don't know. Avedita. I don't. See. It's not in the dictionary. Avedita is un is felt. So Avedita. I don't know. You have to give me context. I could search for it. It's not even in the. It's not even in the. It's not even in the uh, the Pitakas, the Nikayas, so there. Maybe it's in the commentaries or something. You have to give me some context. Vedita means experienced. Avedita means you haven't experienced it. So I don't think it refers to Nibbana. But it's it's Avedaniya probably, or uh, it's without Vedana, you know. What are you doing? Are you traveling? What are you doing? Are you traveling again soon with the robes? The robes are in Bangkok. We're going to pick them up when I get to Bangkok and travel to Chiang Mai with them. I have to get a ticket to Chiang Mai somehow. Have we worked that out? Is Robin here? I have to work that out at some point, the ticket to Chiang Mai, or maybe I'll just take a bus. The bus is so much cheaper, probably much more environmentally friendly as well. 
Yeah, so I'll be leaving here May 31st, and I'll be back again July 1st, I think. Sanka, you can search for it on the DPR, or I can search for it, and I can find it in the commentaries, maybe. Vedita means, uh, where does that, that's a very common, where do we see that? Vedita. Veditang. Yeah, it's a very common, the word Veditang, the Buddha uses that a lot. I can't think off the top of my head. One of the main suttas has the word Veditang. Vedita bows should be experienced, that kind of thing. Weekly interviews doing during June, probably. I'm going to try my best to have internet wherever I go. I guess I can't say for sure, but I'll try my best. I'll have to work it out with Sutanya in Bangkok. I don't know if I have my SIM card here or if it's still working. I don't remember how that goes. I have a, a Thai number, a Thai cell phone number, which would give me internet there. Wi-Fi is still not that big of a thing there. Anyway, I wouldn't have my own Wi-Fi wherever I'm going. A lot of people use mobile internet. Okay, enough. That was lots of questions. Let's not overdo it. Save some questions for tomorrow. Tomorrow I might. Tomorrow I won't be here. I don't think. I'm going. I'm going to give a talk in uh, in Mississauga at a funeral, or not even a funeral, a mem some kind of memorial service, which seems somewhat un-Buddhist to me. I'm not really convinced that memorial services are terribly Buddhist. Dead is dead. The person's born again move on i don't know I'm not convinced it seems to me somehow clinging to the past right death is something that's already happened you know the person's moved on why can't you but uh not something i've thought deeply about anyway it's a good opportunity to teach the dhamma so whatever anyway so probably not be here tomorrow evening but we'll see it could be no i won't be back in time Gonna miss next. Gonna miss tomorrow. So have a good night. Wishing you all the best. Be well. We got video up here, right? Gonna turn that off.